0: Father in heaven. Lord, I suppose we could spend the rest of our time together just declaring the greatness of who you are. And we would still fall short. We would still fall short of declaring all you are. And then, Lord, all that you have done for us. Lord, as we enter into this um, week that leads up to uh, the most magnificent moment in all of eternity, when you, Father, sent your son, Jesus, the cross to be our savior to be our redeemer to set us free from the bondage of sin and death Lord as we settle in and that that wonderful truth as it sinks deep into our hearts and into our minds Lord we praise you above all things for that most amazing act thank you God the Father for the love that sent Jesus Jesus thank you for in your great compassion and love for us you willingly humbled yourself before the will of the Father and you came and then Holy Spirit of God that you would still remain with us even as we act out in the flesh contrary to how you would have us to be forgive us Lord for the way we do that when we do it transform our desires and make them like yours even the words we sing as we praise you May they be real and authentic. Lord, now as the word is declared, I'm asking, Lord Jesus, that you, by the power and might of your Holy Spirit, would be the one that declares that it would be your word, your truth that speaks. Lord, open the heart of each one right now to receive what you have for them. Meet them where they are. Shine your your glorious and bright light into each heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. kids have a great time we'll see you after the service if you want to turn to Romans chapter 8 we're going to be spending um, our time in the first eight verses but uh, you know I'd like to I've learned over the course of My entire life. Well, at least the Lord has developed this desire and this passion in me. If I can name like top one hundred most special things in life, it's like it's fifty-two Sunday mornings where we get together together. uh, Well, at least fifty-two of those one hundred, or when we get together together on a Sunday morning and sit shoulder to shoulder with brother and sister in Christ and praise the name of our Lord and Savior. um, That is one of the most. Uh, it's become one of the most dear and precious experiences for me. Yet, man has determined, at least in the state of Michigan and Indiana and Ohio, that 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 the Easter season should be interrupted by the desires of mankind, and we're, we're just going to establish that spring break is going to fall when it does. And so, you know, as you look around, if you've ever do, if you've ever traveled to the southeast let's say Florida, Georgia, Alabama. You know, there's one corridor that goes down there and you see nothing but Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio license plates. You don't even see the home state represented on the highways because it's so pushed. They're pushed out because of us that want to go to Florida and skip out on an Easter celebration. That's really not their motive, is it? They want to go down there and they want to spend time in the sun. I get it totally, completely. It's just bothersome to me and I'm part of it, I was. We don't have a son now in high school anymore so spring break's no longer a big deal to us. Um, But I don't like it when spring break falls when Easter falls and I put it that way in particular because God determined when Christ would go to the cross and when we would recognize and celebrate that. But uh, I just don't like it because I know it claims the church I know what they're doing is wonderful and magnificent, but I love it when our church is able to gather together, in particular with this week, this Sunday, and next Sunday, as we recognize and celebrate the truth of our Lord Jesus and what he did. And so, as as the mass exodus has fled south, um, Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11, declares the greatest coming of the greatest king of all time. And this is what Matthew chapter 21 says. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say to them, the Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put put on them their cloaks and sat on them. And he sat on them. Most of the crowd from Nazareth of Galilee. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? We see him entering the city, that the people even declaring that Jesus is a prophet, not understanding exactly who he is. Their hope was that he was going to put his mighty fist down on Rome and reestablish Israel and Jerusalem for the Jews. Remove, remove from them Rome. That's what they were thinking. And they were hoping, and you see it declared right there that Jesus was not completely understood to be their Messiah, their coming Redeemer. So, why did Jesus come? He came for their hearts, and they came for your heart. He came with a desire for us to share and participate in relationship with Him. Not just, as he would, not just as he would destroy what is around us, but that he would destroy the very thing that it's in us, and that's sin. That's why he came. So let me give you three reasons as we enter into this today. Like we could stand up here, reasons why Jesus came. Well, first he came to fulfill prophecy. And I praise God for that, because I know for many I want, I, want, I want you to prove to me why Jesus is the Messiah. Well, 500 some years before Jesus actually came, we see, we see in this passage, Matthew chapter 21, the fulfillment of prophecy, spoken of by the prophet Zechariah back in chapter nine of his, um, of his book. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus came to be a part of, to be the, excuse me, fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus also came because of the magnificent and the great love that God the Father has for you and has for me. John three sixteen. For God, the Father, so loved the world. What did he do? He sent his son, Jesus. He sent his son, Jesus, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, would not have the sin that's in their heart, condemn condemn them to death. It would not perish, but what? They would have everlasting life in relationship with God, the Father, through Jesus Christ and what he did Jesus came because of the magnificent love of God the Father. Jesus also came in order for this, to set you and to set me free. Free, which means if he came to set us free, there is something that has bound us, that's caused us to stand condemned before him. John chapter eight and verse 36 says, so if the son sets you free free, you will be free indeed. The truth of the cross of Jesus Christ, the truth of his coming, was with the full intention of setting you free from the sin that has bound you and the death that has claimed you because of the sin that has bound you. Verse 31 says, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, in John chapter eight, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So if you know the word, you are truly a disciple of Jesus Christ and you will know the truth, the truth of the cross of Jesus Christ, the truth of who you are, set apart from him, recognizing how wretched you are, knowing that truth and accepting that Jesus needed to come for your sake, that truth alone will set you free from bondage. I'm supposing that there are some in here today we haven't even gotten into today's passage. But I'm supposing some of you in here today are like, you know what, I don't know anything about this person, Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe some have said, you know what, I've heard of him. I know what people have had to say about him and who he is. But clearly, you have not embraced the truth of who you are apart from Jesus. And you have not invited him to be Lord of your life. And so you're probably wondering, what is it that I am in bondage by? What is binding me right now? What do I need to be set free from? King Solomon said this in chapter three of Ecclesiastes that God has placed in the hearts of every individual this eternal hole that can only be filled by God himself. And so the one who has refused to accept the person of Jesus Christ has yet to have that hole in their heart completely filled by God himself. And so here's what you do. You spend your life from the day you're born till the day you die if you don't come and accept Jesus Christ and what he's done. You spend your life filling that hole with other things. And the more you fill that hole the further it pushes you away from God. The more you go after the things of this world, we will call those the things of the flesh, the more you go after those types of things which your flesh you are given to, the more hostile you become toward the one who intends to fill that hole. You are gripped by your own self and you actually stand condemned before God because you are bound by the sin that makes you who you are. That's you, unbeliever, the one that has refused to accept the truth of who Jesus Christ is. But for us who are believers, for us who are believers, the ones that have have determined based on the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been filled by the Holy Spirit of God and we have been set free from that bondage. And so, As I've wrestled over this passage today, Romans chapter eight, verses one through eight, this is what I've been given to preach. The first verse says this, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You and I are not condemned. We do not stand condemned before God because he has made it right through the cross of Jesus Christ in our hearts. He has given us his Holy Spirit, all right? But verse eight says this, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You and I, brother and sister in Christ, have been filled with the Holy Spirit. There is no condemnation for you and me. Yet I know this and you know it too. What are we still tied to? This flesh that makes us who we are, apart from Christ. And I still do things in the flesh. What about you? I still do things in the flesh. And in my head, it's like, how? how can the God that just declared to me that I am no longer condemned, how can he be pleased with me ever because of my activity in the flesh? Have you ever wrestled with that? There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ, yet those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What in the world does that mean? So I wrestled over these two questions. Is God pleased with me? I want you to think about that. Is God pleased with me as we enter into this passage? Two questions. Is God pleased with me? And then the second one is this Do I please God? Because they are vastly different. Is God pleased with me? Do I please God? Today's passage answers that. If you are someone that wrestles like I do with is God actually pleased with me because I know who I am in the flesh and I know I disappoint God when I make decisions in the flesh, how in the world can he ever be pleased with me? Well, I'm here to declare to you today through the word of God, with the word of God that God is pleased with you He has rem- and me. He has removed from us our condemned state by Jesus himself being condemned in the flesh so that we don't have to be, so that we don't have to stand condemned. Jesus did that for us so that God the Father could be pleased with us. And he has given us a a world of wisdom and love and expressions of God through his word for us to set our minds on and train ourselves to think on the things that he has for us, not listening to the lies of the enemy. All right? So we're gonna answer this question today. How can I know that God is pleased with me? Because I want you church to know that God is pleased with you and there is nothing that can change his pleasure in you no matter what you do or what you say. Romans 8 verses one to eight. Read along with me if you would, please. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. How can I know God is pleased with me? I want you to look at verses one and two and this is how, by resting in the truth that you are not condemned. How can I know that God is pleased in me? By simply accepting this most magnificent truth that you are not condemned. Condemnation has been removed from you the moment you believed in the person of Jesus Christ. There is therefore now Now means that you once were condemned. You stood opposed to God and the things that he has for you, determined to do things your way in accordance with your plan and what satisfies you. You determining which direction you should go instead of the way God would have you to go. Now, he says, you once were condemned, but now you are not. Please receive this truth. You are not condemned. The law of the Spirit is simply this, that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit of God based on your belief in him and what he did for you on the cross. That is the beginning of receiving the truth that Jesus Christ has for you through his word. 1 Corinthians chapter two, I refer to this so often, it's become such a dear passage to me. There is no way there is no way for the for the unbelieving heart the heart that is still determined by the flesh to receive the things of the word of god because they are spiritually discerned we cannot receive and understand that we are not condemned until we are not condemned and it's my prayer that the Holy Spirit of God moves in the heart of the unbelieving individual and gives him, gives her the capacity to receive and believe the truth of the law of the Spirit. The law of sin and death is simply this. It's I'm, I'm following my flesh. I am determining for myself what is best for me. This eternal sized hole in my heart that is intended to be filled by God himself, I am filling myself with the things of this world because that's what I'm drawn to. Sin, which leads to death. Okay, let's say we believe that first verse. Brother and sister in Christ, we believe that verse. There is no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ. Why do I still feel condemned? And I bet if I were to, if I were to pass out an index card to each one of you and have you determine right now, okay, I am condemned. I am 100% condemned being number one and then number 10 being on this scale, being I feel absolutely completely free in Jesus Christ. One being condemned, free in Jesus Christ. I bet every single brother, sister in Christ, one set free, not condemned person would say there is some level of condemnation they feel from time to time. And here's why I think there is now therefore how did Paul come to this that he needed to say that even to himself there is no condemnation for me you have to go back to 7 chapter 7 verses 15 to 20 so just take a peek right back there if you spent any time in Romans you know you the first time you read this you're like totally overdone by this by this passage Because Paul says this, verse 15, I do not understand my own actions. Holy Spirit-filled, the apostle Paul is saying, I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. He understands what the law has to say, what God wants from me, but he understands I do not have the capacity to fulfill what God wants from me. Instead, I do the very thing, I hate law of spirit versus law of flesh and death. Verse 16 says, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. He understands. The things God has for me are right and good. Verse 17, so now now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. He knows that. That is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. That's the Holy Spirit at work in his heart. He knows what is right. That's what he wants to do. He wants to honor and glorify God in those things, yet he in and of himself does not have the capacity to fulfill what God wants him to do. And then verse 24, he makes the statement as he wrestles over this. I wonder how often he felt the enemy declaring to him, hey, you're condemned because of this and that. He says, wretched man that I am, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He understood perfectly and completely the law of sin is me. It drags me into the things of this world. And there is no way for me to get away from it. I need the law of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, to make things right, to take away my condemnation and to draw me away from these things, the Spirit of the flesh that leads to death and sin. So listen to this. Here's what we need to walk away from as we think about and receive our condemnation, that we are condemned apart from Christ yet there is no condemnation for you and me who are in Christ. Paul said, wretched man that I am. Paul said in chapter three, we, got, we have to accept this. This is who we are apart from Jesus Christ. This is who we are apart from the cross. A wretched man, a wretched woman. Go back to chapter three, and this is what he says about me, about you, and about himself. There is no one righteous. There is no not one. There's no one who understands. No one even seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. There is so much freedom in approaching the throne of the Lord and saying, I have nothing to offer you. I recognize apart from you, I am absolutely nothing. I am condemned. I am bound for hell. I need you to save me. We have to accept that. And then you must accept also this truth that when you come to Jesus, you Are set free. You are set free in Christ Jesus. Wretched man, you're set free. There is no condemnation for you because you are in Christ Jesus. God is pleased with you for this very simple truth that you no longer are condemned, but that you are set free in Jesus Christ. Tim Keller says it this way. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. And the more you grow in your relationship with the Lord, the more flawed you see you are. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared to hope. Look, look, If you get nothing else from this sermon, if you are someone that's like, the Lord can never be pleased with me because I still, my hands are dirty with sin. My heart is captivated with this thing of the world. Simply kneeling before Jesus and saying, I accept that I am not condemned because of what you did on the cross is a truth that he intends for you to hang on to with all your might. God is pleased with you, so rest in that truth that you are not condemned. Let's move on to the second one. How can I know God is pleased with me? By accepting this truth, that Christ stood stood condemned so that you don't have to. Christ stood condemned so that you don't have to. Why do you say don't have to? Because that doesn't make sense to me. Well, I say Christ stood condemned one time for all so that you don't have to. Because sometimes we still do. We stand as though we're condemned. We've been through that already in the first one. But Christ did it so we don't have to. We don't have to bear the weight of the flesh anymore because Christ did it on the cross for us. Look at this, starting at verse three, verses three and four. For God has done, it is God that did it and that is very, very important for us to understand. God is the one who did this What the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending, this is how he did it, he sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was without sin his entire time he was here on earth. For 30 couple of years, he was tempted by everything you're tempted with from from the enemy screaming and whispering in his ear to the hunger he experienced in his belly to the challenge that was brought to him by his enemy to even in his weakened human flesh he was tempted every single way that you and i have been tempted by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh likeness because he did not sin and for sin he jesus condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk how not according to the flesh but, the, but according to the Spirit. Paul knew there was a righteous requirement that God has for us. He also knew he couldn't do it and that apart from this, we stand condemned. What did God do that the law couldn't? 600 plus laws that probably rolled through Paul's mind. I have to to complete every single one of these, never committing any one of them. 600 plus laws. He knew based on, he didn't even need to know the testimonies of Israel from hundreds of years before before him, how they rejected God and didn't listen to the law. He knew himself. Based on his own heart and who he was before Christ and even his wrestlings after. Romans chapter 7. That the law can't save him from himself. The law can't save you from yourself. The law can't save me. Tell me this now. How many times has this stopped your child from doing something or a dear friend? Hey, don't do that. Hey, do that hey, stop doing that. I don't want you to do that. It's bad for you. I can paint the most horrific picture about what is at the end of this. This flashy thing that you are about to go after. I can paint the most horrific ending. But here's what you know and I know. It doesn't stop anyone from doing anything. Just simply hearing, don't do this, do that. How in the world can the law stop anyone? James chapter two says this, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has been guilty of all of it. Even if there are 600 laws and you fulfill 599, you commit one, don't do this and you do it, you are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker and you stand condemned. Condemned. Jesus stepped into the cross, took on himself, sinless self, the condemnation that you and I deserve so that we don't have to stand condemned. He did it himself. He did it himself. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that we understand this most magnificent truth? First, it's this. Jesus is the one that God the Father wants to get all the glory. All right? Hey, you know what? I'm no longer condemned in Christ because I'm in Christ. You know what? How about this? I've spent, the last, I've spent the last 30 years of my life gripped by this sin. I was not able to beat it. I was not able to beat it. I gave my life to Christ. He revealed to me that this very thing that I went after that I used to fill my heart and soothe my soul, this thing. God saved me from it. But you know what? After I came into a relationship with Christ, I still dealt with it. 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 And you know what? I finally beat it. I finally got it. I kicked that sin in the teeth And now I stand righteous before God. You see what just happened there? If we even take one ounce of the glory that God deserves from removing his condemnation from us, we are off and we are wrong. Because here's what happens. I did it. You know what? I did it. And so here, look, if I wrestled for 30 years over this sin, you should be able to stop too. Because I did it. I did it. Here's what happens. I start judging you because you can't. I start feeling really good about myself because I did. And all of a sudden, I am robbing and stealing from God the glory that only He deserves because He is the only sinless one that conquered sin and death. He is the only one that deserves the glory. And when we rob it from Him, we make an awful mess. An absolutely awful mess. It's important for us to understand and sit back and and, and recognize, once again, wretched person that I am. God is the one that saved me from myself. After 30 years of wrestling over this sin, he is the one that removed the temptation from me and now I stand righteous for him in er in that area, before him in that area of my life. That's why it's so important that we understand Christ is the one that was condemned. He stood in the way so you and I didn't have to. God is pleased with you so much so, so much so as he pleased with you that he was willing to condemn his own son so that you and I could be in relationship with him. Let's let him have the glorification while he brings you and I transformation. All right, here's a third one. How can I know that God is pleasing with me by fixing my mind on the things of the spirit? Man, this is a hard one, isn't it? This is such a hard one that we would set our mind on things above, not on earthly things. Things above, spiritual things. Things of the spirit, things of the earth, things of flesh sin and death. So hard, isn't it? Even after in relationship with Christ, I am filled with the Holy Spirit, yet I still think about things I shouldn't. Because look, whatever your mind determines is what your hand is going to do. Look at verses five, six, and seven. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. Man, the unbeliever, apart from the Holy Spirit of God, as he has set his mind on the things of the flesh, what is he doing but just continuing to increase his hostility toward God? You and I can do the same thing in Christ. He has given us his Holy Spirit, but he gives us the opportunity to desire and long for and think on things of the Spirit, the things he has for us. Yet, yet, Man, there are things of this world that us, that we, our flesh, the wretchedness in us continues to be drawn to. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. Verse six, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So, in case you are wrestling over how wretched we are apart from Christ, let's let the Apostle Paul show us how we are, okay? You're like, man, Todd, this, is, this doesn't feel very good. No, when we are wretched and we stand apart from Christ, it shouldn't feel good, and he doesn't want it to feel good. To be presented with the very things that draw me away from him does not feel good, and it shouldn't, because the feel good moment comes next Sunday when we know that the one that saved us from this is resurrected and now standing at the right hand of the throne of God the Father speaking on your behalf and mine. Here are the things of the flesh. These are things that lead to hostility and death. Keep in mind, brother, sister in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in in your heart. He has taken up residence in that eternal spot in your heart that only he can fill. He's not gonna share that spot with anything you determine to bring into it like this. Galatians 5, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Just letting your senses determine what is best for you. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And here it is, the cover of all. And things like these. When you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, the moment you taste something that is of this world, you are instantly convicted. Don't deny it. And if it's too good for you, you hide from the conviction and you keep going after it. And what are you doing? You're doing nothing but developing a hostility not toward you because God is so pleased with you that he would send his own son to save you from this, but hostility toward the very thing that you are permitting to come back into your heart. Things of this world, things of the flesh, and things like these. You know the conviction. Here's a good one. You ready? Here's a really good one. This is a thing of the flesh. That you believe a lie of the enemy as he desires to deceive you that you don't mean anything to God and you can never please him. That is straight up, bold-faced lie of the enemy when God tells us in, in verse eight, or excuse me, verse one, you are not condemned. Do not let the enemy to glare to you that you are condemned based on this sin that you continue to wrestle with. You are not. You are saved from that. God is going to be glorified as he transforms you away from and out of that. They're the things of the flesh. How about the things of the spirit that lead to what? Life and peace. Not hostility and death, but life and peace this is what they are, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things of the Spirit. Why don't we think on stuff like that? Why do we think on this other kind of stuff? Why do we listen to lies, the deceit of the enemy, the foolishness of the things of this world? Why do we go after that? when we have these types of things that we can overlay our heart and insulate our heart from the very things that our flesh desires. Lies and deceit, you're a sinner. You can't ever get past it. That's the thing of the flesh. Here's the thing of the spirit. There is no condemnation for you. That's a truth. That's a truth. Fight the lies and deceit with a truth. Fight the lies and deceit with the truth. God is pleased with you so much so that his son stood condemned so that you could be in uncondemned relationship with him. Let's go back to Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11. King Solomon, very wise man once said, he has put eternity into the hearts of man. The more you fill your heart with junk, the things of this world, the heavier your heart is going to feel. Now, I want you to think about it. When you're not feeling well, how easy is it to be unloving, lacking joy, not filled with peace? How, how, how does that drive you to impatience and a lack of gentleness, a lack of self-control? The more you fill your heart, with the junk and the things of this world, the heavier it's going to feel. The heavier your heart is going to feel, the more hostile you're going to be toward God. And the more hostile you are toward God, the more you are developing bondage in specific areas of your life. God has determined in the heart of each one that he is to fill your heart. He has no place, once he comes into your heart, he has, there's no room for anything else, no room. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Whatever that thing is that makes you want to believe that you're not pleasing in God's sight, I want you to, I want you to just take it and just hold it right here. Lord, Lord that thing, that thing right now I know the more I go after it, the more hostile I become toward you. But you're not hostile toward me. Understand this. He's hostile hostile toward the thing that you are inviting into your heart. We can know that God is pleased on us by thinking about the things that are pleasing to God, by listening to the truth and not lies. Verse eight says this. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So I come back to those two questions I wrestled over. Is God pleased with me? If you are a parent, you know and can relate to this. And this is why. You tell your child, don't do that, and they do it. Does that change the pleasure you have in them? Absolutely not. You are are scared for them. You are frightened for them because you know they're making choices that are contrary to what God would have for them. Yet it does not change the pleasure you have in them. That's you and me, simple-minded people. The eternal God right now has placed his love and affection on you, and there's not a single thing you can do to change the pleasure he has in you. Believe that. He has removed condemnation from you. He has stood in your place. He has given us things to set our minds on, the revelation of the truth that he loves us beyond anything we could imagine. Is God pleased with me? You can be absolutely sure he is if you are in Christ. Am I pleasing to God? I asked the guy this, these questions. He's like, yes and yes, and no, 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 yes, yes, no, no, yes, no, yes. We wrestle over that, don't we? Am I pleasing to God? Yes, I am because he has claimed me for himself. Am I pleasing to God? You know, sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm not but our desire and our goal should be that we would set our mind on the things that God has for us. Praise God today for Palm Sunday because that was, the, that was a, another step in the revelation of who Jesus Christ is as he responded to God the Father, as he fulfilled prophecy, as he came and he went to the cross for you and me so that we wouldn't be condemned. Church, believe it. You are pleasing in the sight of God and let that let that drive us into our next days and on toward easter okay father we come before you now so very thankful so very thankful god that you did what you did lord i confess it's so hard to think that there's nothing i can do to remove your pleasure from me that you have in me oh lord what a humbling truth Yet, Lord, I do confess there are flashy things in this world that still draw my attention. Lord, please forgive. I pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in the heart of each one. Help us to see who we are in you. And Lord, let that drive us into every moment of every day, every decision we make. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.